as you make your way back to your seats, I just want to uh, bring a couple of things to your attention before we drop, dive into God's Word. Uh, my name is Ross. Welcome again. If you were here last week or the last few weeks, I just want to remind you, as a part of our new local outreach effort called CC Cares, we are asking you, as well as our preschool and others, to uh, donate little uh, comfort kits that we're going to give away to people in need in our community. So here's a sample of one. It's got a little uh, travel size shampoo, uh, toothpaste, scope, uh, deodorant, things like that. So we, we put a deadline on this for November 13th, which is the same day as our um, chili challenge. So just, you know, most of us delay until the deadline, right? So we're like, we better put a deadline on this. Bring this stuff to the chili challenge. There's a basket right as you walk in the door. This is a great thing. And I encourage you, as we just dedicated kids, uh, go and uh, get some of these sample things at Target or Walmart, put them in a Ziploc bag, just maybe put them out on the table, uh, put them all together in the little Ziploc bags as a family and try to use that as a teachable moment with your kids, um, that there are people in need, that there are people that don't have all the things that we have and have fallen on hard times, and use that uh, together as a family, even with your little ones. Uh, the other thing in terms of family business, last week I asked you to pray uh, for several in our church family who have ailing parents, as well as our children's uh, minister, Rebecca Merritt. Rebecca had surgery on Monday. Surgery went well. She is still recovering, and she'll have some more preventative surgeries in January. There's a place on our website if you want to sign up to take a meal uh, to Rebecca, but they are, they are doing well. I want to update you on that. We also asked you to pray for a lot of parents, um, and grandparents that were ailing uh, with us, uh, excuse me, um, <clears throat> and uh, this Monday, Jill Hessen lost her father, and then on Tuesday, Virginia Carter, who's here with us this morning, lost her father as well, so I want to update you and ask you to continue to pray for them. Also, Scott Holtz, our elder chairman, his father has given a, been given a, another week or so to live in hospice, so we're, we're just in this period of time. Uh, as a church family where parents are getting older, and, and that's, that's just hard. You've got these little ones up here, uh, and we've got the other end of, of life as well, and it's hard. Uh, Adzel, who uh, leads our CC Cares, also is in the Philippines um, at the funeral of his aunt who suddenly passed away. So pray for him as well, and others, Michael and others who have parents that are having a hard time. So um, can I pray, and uh, then we'll dive into God's Word, uh, ask for ask for uh, comfort on these folks. Father God, we come to you this morning, um, and some of us don't know one another, but we um, are family because of Jesus and because your Holy Spirit unites us. And we ask, Father, that you would comfort those that are grieving among us. We ask, Father, that we would be a picture of family uh, to the world. Lord, um, these are hard times. We pray that you would continue to heal Rebecca, and bring her back to us quickly. We pray for Roy and the kids as well as they deal in this difficult time. As we open up your word, God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would uh, work in us. Um, he would draw us closer to Jesus, to look like Jesus, and to be um, your instruments in this, in this difficult world. So in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, I got to hoof it today. But uh, nine months ago, when we planned and finally decided upon this sermon series, Thriving in Babylon, I did not realize just how timely it would be, <laughs> right? Uh, November looms, and many of us are cynical, sad, disappointed, 
fearful, whatever it is. Uh, here's what I want to say this morning. Uh, though this series, I hope, has been timely and been helpful, I hope it has not contributed to fear-mongering. Uh, because what I want you to hear through Thriving in Babylon is that we can thrive. Uh, in fact, that's been the M.O. for most Christians throughout church history, that they uh, have not had just wonderfully peaceful and wonderfully godly kings and people and authorities. And that certainly was the case for Daniel. Um, we don't have to be hopeless. In fact, we're called to be hopeful in these times. And we can, looking at the example of Daniel as, as well as Joseph in the Old Testament and others, certainly Paul in the first century in Rome, we can be hopeful that in uh, a world that is troubled, a world that is broken, and when government goes in ways that we would not prefer, that we can still thrive and make a difference. Uh, one uh, pastor, author, seminary uh, president, Al Mohler, has said this. He said, for Christians, we can be neither optimistic, because that's naive, but neither can we be pessimistic, because that is atheistic. Did you catch that? To be just worldly optimistic is naive because the Bible says things are going to get bad. In the last days, things are going to get bad. So we can't have a naive optimism, but we also don't have to be pessimistic. Because to be pessimistic is actually to be atheistic with no hope. But we've seen in this series, I hope you've seen, I hope uh, it has fueled your confidence that God's plan goes on in spite of the world around us and even through these tough times. So we don't have to have a posture of wringing our hands and, and being fearful. We should be concerned. We should be disappointed. We should pray. But we don't have to fear and wring our hands. We really just need to drop to our knees and pray and then get back up and go on into this world as the ministers and missionaries that God has called us to be in this time in this place. One of the verses we've looked at multiple times through this study is Daniel 6.28. And Daniel 6.28 says, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. He got to this high level in a pagan empire, in an evil government, but it says that he prospered. He worked for King Nebuchadnezzar, a wicked, wicked king, and then for Nebuchadnezzar's son. And then the Persian Empire came and defeated the Babylonians. And, and Daniel kept his place of influence under Cyrus and, and Darius. He prospered, and we too can prosper. And as we wrap up this series today, I want to remind us of kind of the three keys that we've looked at in Daniel's life. And those three keys being hope, humility, and wisdom. First of all, hope. Daniel was a person of hope, and it wasn't because he had hope in Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he knew Nebi uh, was off his rocker. He was evil. He's one of the most evil leaders to ever rule. He was the superpower leader of Daniel's day. So Daniel's hope was not in Nebuchadnezzar. It was not in Cyrus or Darius. It was not even in, in any king, in any earthly king. We see in Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, as well as Daniel chapter 7, verse 27, that Daniel's hope was in a kingdom to come that would be a heavenly kingdom. He said, God is bringing a kingdom that will be everlasting, that will reign forever, and no kingdom will be able to defeat this kingdom. And he said, God has promised this now in the New Testament, in the, in the new covenant age, 
that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Babylon may rise and fall. Rome may rise and fall. America may rise and fall. But the gates of hell will not prevail against what is God is doing in his kingdom and in through his church. So Daniel had this hope. And it wasn't an earthly hope. It was a hope in the promises and the kingdom of God to come. He also had an incredible humility. Even as he worked for this pagan king, he approached this king with respect and with humility. And even as he finds out through uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream that his kingdom is going to crumble, he goes to him and he, he has this certain amount of respect. We saw in chapter 2 and chapter 4 that he approached the king dismayed that his kingdom would end. He, he still respected the office and the person, even in a wicked pagan empire. Finally, last week, we began to look at this idea of wisdom and that Daniel was wise. He took the principles of God and then he, he applied them. But he also knew how to give in and when to compromise and when it was okay to compromise and when it was against his conscience, against the word of God to compromise. And we said that in Babylon, there's two Equal and opposite poles. One pole is, is towards relativism, to go with the flow and just kind of neglect God's word and say, hey, uh, no rules apply, everything's okay. That's the pull towards relativism that Daniel did not give into. But the other pull is towards legalism. When we're scared and afraid and we see that, that uh, everything is kind of relative and, and morality is changing, what we often do as Christians, as believers, is, is draw more rules. And say, hey, well, if this is the principle of God's word, here's how I apply this. Oh, and by the way, this is how you should apply it too. And we talked about the pull to relativism and the pull to legalism. And today I want to look again one more week, one final week at wisdom. How we become wise people, how we find wisdom. And that is primarily through the word of God. We find wisdom through the word of God. And if we're going to thrive in Babylon, we have to be people of the book. People of the book. And so the bottom line for the sermon today, if you just want to write down one sentence, the bottom line of the sermon today is be a person of the book. Be a person of the book. Read it, study it, love it, live it, and pass it on to your children to your friends and neighbors. That's where we're going and uh, be a person of the book. And this is a value of our church. Uh, as a church, our purpose, our mission statement is to center lives on Jesus Christ. And one of the four strategies we have to do that, to help us accomplish that mission of seeing lives centered on Jesus Christ is through biblical teaching. We want to be a church about this book. We want to be a church about the truth that we know it, that we love it, that we study it, that we apply it, and that we share it. One of our core values, if you go on our website, we have eight core values. One of those core values is Scripture. And on our website, if you read our little statement on Scripture, I believe it says this. Do we have a slide of that? Because I forgot that. Thank you, Ken. It says, we treasure. I was waiting for that slide to come up. Help me. I don't have it written down. We treasure God's Word. It is our anchor, our authority, our light, and our hope. We want to be people of the book. So if you'll join me this morning, we're going to turn to guess where? Not Daniel. That was a trick question. <laughs> we're going to turn actually uh, today to Romans, Romans chapter 12. And with Daniel in the background, with Daniel as a backdrop, we're going to look at Romans chapter 12, primarily verse 2. Okay, so flip with me there. I want you in the Bible. We're going to turn to John chapter 17 in a minute. So if you want to get there, you can put your finger 
there or uh, bookmark that electronically. But we'll start in Romans 12 and primarily verse 2, okay? Read along here with me in verse 2. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're going to dive in here in a second and kind of look at that, kind of dissect just that one verse. But you see the big idea here. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Now, as hopefully you've heard me say in the past, if you've been here weeks past, anytime we look at the scriptures, anytime we do a Bible study, one of the most important things we want to look at is what? Context, right? Context, context, context. So Paul here is, is saying the same thing that Daniel is doing back in the Old Testament. Don't be conformed to this world. So Daniel's saying, I'm, I'm not going to be conformed to this world. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So Daniel is applying what Paul is going to say later in the first century. But what is the context of Paul's commandment here? What's the context? Well, the context is the book of Romans and the Roman world at the time. So some of our ladies have been studying uh, Romans, so you guys should be thinking, hey, I, I know the answer to this. Let's, let's talk about the context. So to get a little bit of the context, flip all the way back to chapter 1 of Romans, okay? And we're going to get a look here at Romans chapter 1, the cultural context of Romans. And let me just tell you right up front, it's not very pleasant. It's a pagan culture full of idolatry and polytheism and multiple gods and false worship and all that thing. And we don't have time to go into this uh, exactly today, but if you pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, he's talking about the first century. And he says, it's not that you don't know the truth, you actually know the truth. The problem is Rome, the problem is America, the problem Babylon is that you are suppressing the truth. You know it, it's been revealed to you, you know it through your conscience, you know it through creation, but you're suppressing the truth. And he goes on and he, he talks about how they should know that in verse 20 by just looking around at creation around them. They should know that there's a God and they should know that if there's a God, he's big and he's powerful and he has, uh, he has a right to judge us. So that's what he talks about kind of in the later voice. Verses And if you uh, look at verse 21, it says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. We talked about wisdom last week. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, Therefore, God gave them up in their lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 25 gets graphic because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And verse 26, he expands, beginning in verse 26 all the way through 32. And here's what that looks like. 
For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And women and men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, that's not politically correct to read or talk about today, so I shouldn't say that, right? But that's what the Bible says. It says this is the degradation When we worship false things, when we suppress the truth, this is what happened. And not just those things that evangelicals typically speak out about, but it goes on. We're all guilty here. Look at verse 28. They did not see fit to acknowledge God, so God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And look at verse 29. They were filled. Find yourself here. In verse 29 and following. Not your neighbor, but find yourself. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness again. And I love the end of 29. I love to point this out when I'm teaching this at other times. I say that right there in the mess of evil and the mess of sexual immorality, it says gossips, and disobedient to parents. (laughs) Right there, in the same paragraph, they gossip, they're disobedient to parents, they're slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. This hardly seems like middle America, good, moral, upstanding people, does it? And yet this is the case in first century Rome. This could be said certainly about 6th century B.C. Babylon, and it could be said about 21st century America. This is the context of Romans 12. This is the context of Babylon. This is the context of today. And so we flip back to Romans 12, and we find his instructions. If that's the context, what do we do? Well, it says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we do. That's the command. And let me back up and go into uh, verse 1 to get a little context of of verse 2. Let's look back at verse 1. First of all, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the main imperative in verse 1 and there's a, there's a lot of words there, a lot of thoughts. But the main imperative in verse 1 is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's the command. That's the imperative. Present your body as a living sacrifice. It's interesting that cron- contrast there between sacrifice but living, right? Sacrifice your life, but don't die as Jesus did. Live your life as a sacrifice, He's not asking us to go to the cross. He's not asking us to die for our faith necessarily. He's asking us to live sacrificially. And the motivation, catch the motivation at the beginning of verse 1. The motivation for doing this is not to win brownie points with God. It's not to save yourself by being a good person. It's, it's, it's the, the motivation is the mercies of God. Why do you 
be transformed? Why do you not be conformed? Because of the mercies of God. He's In the first 11 chapters, he's talked about the mercies of God, that though we've sinned, chapter 1, God has sent this Savior, chapter 3, 4, and 5, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to take our sins, to justify us, to grant us forgiveness, that we might have forgiveness, salvation. Based upon that, based upon what God has done, now respond to God. It's not get right, do good things to get right with God. It's based upon, it's because what God has done for you, now live your life in light of that. I appeal to you by the mercies of God, by the grace of God, and then the command further in verse 2, a negative and then a positive. Do not be conformed to this world. One translator has said it like this, do not let the world squeeze you into its mold. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't go with the flow. Don't throw up your hands and say, oh, way, I guess this is the new way. Don't be conformed to this world, but positive, be transformed, be transformed, be, to, be metamorphosized is the idea here. From a caterpillar to a butterfly, you're changing, you're being transformed, and it's actually in the passive voice in the original language. It means that something is acting on us to transform us. We're being transformed. We're not transforming ourselves, but the Word of God through the renewal of our mind is transforming us. The Word of God is the tool acted upon ourselves that transforms us. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. By what you put in your mind. Many of you have probably heard uh, of this phrase, garbage in, garbage out. Gigo for short, okay? Gigo means garbage in, garbage out. That's what Romans 12, 1 and 2 is saying. You put garbage in your mind, garbage comes through your heart, garbage comes out of your mouth. Garbage in, garbage out. And Paul is saying, renew your mind by the word of God. If we're going to thrive in Babylon, we got to be people of the book. People that are not just in the book, but people that are getting the book in us, right? To be people of the book, to read it, to study it, to love it, to live it, to pass it on. We cannot live this life, we cannot thrive in Babylon apart from being people of God's word. We got to be in it consistently, regularly, by ourselves, with other people. If we're going to have a mind to thrive, we've got to have the book. And notice I said a mind to thrive and not feelings to thrive, okay? Often in our world, it's, hey, if it feels good, do it. If it feels right, it's true. Folks, feelings can never determine the truth. They can sometimes confirm the truth, but they should never determine the truth. Truth should be determined by wisdom of God and the word of God. And sometimes you make that decision and it's confirmed by your feelings. But we don't follow our feelings to know what to do. We follow the truth of God. We follow the word of God and then we follow the word of God in wisdom and counsel with others. If we're going to have a mind to thrive, it's got to be through the word of God, not through our feelings. 
not through opinion polls or what's popular or what the surveys are saying about what is right and wrong, but what God's word has said. And just as this gives me opportunity, just as God's principle here is the word of God to renew our mind, Satan uses that same principle to put garbage in our mind and to trash our life. I saw this week some sobering statistics about an epidemic in our world, in our church, in our schools, with our kids, about the epidemic of pornography. And it's destroying people right and left. The statistics that I read were from a Barna survey in 2014. It says of men ages 18 to 30 have viewed pornography in the last month, 79% of men 18 to 30 have looked at pornography within the last month. For the next age bracket, 31 to 49, it drops, but still at 67% in the last month. And those 50 to 68, 49%, almost one in two of men over 50 have looked at pornography within the last month. And if you're here this morning, this is not to put judgment on you. This is not for you to make, oh, I'm at church and feel guilty. This is to send you a lifeline and say, find help today. Because the garbage that you put in your mind will destroy your life. And many of us have dealt with this. Many of us deal with this. And you need right now a lifeline this morning to say, I've got to get out of this addiction. This is not to judge you. This is to say, find help. You don't have to talk to me, but talk to someone today. Find one of our elders. Find someone that you came with. Find someone in your small group and say, this is killing me, and it's going to kill my family if I don't get a handle on it. Garbage in, garbage out. God's word. So important. You know, I got I to confess to you, even as a pastor, you know, I get to study the Bible for hours a week, but I got to confess to you, I don't just wake up every morning singing songs to Jesus. I don't. It's a fight to get in God's word, to have it, to have it flow through my mind and down in my heart, because guess what? I, I wake up every morning with doubts and with fears and with silly, stupid thinking about myself and about others and about what is my responsibility. And I have to discipline myself regularly to get in the Word of God and to filter all the junk in my mind over the years and all the screwy thinking that I have to be transformed by the renewing of my mind every day by the Word of God. Every day. This is what Jesus did. When Jesus walked this earth, yes, he's the God man, he's perfect. But when he was tempted, Matthew chapter 4, tempted in the wilderness three times by Satan, what did he do? He quoted scripture three times. The word of God says this. Scripture says this. He was filled with the word of God. Psalm 19, Psalm 119, excuse me. It's 150 some verses about the power of the word of God in our lives. Jesus hangs on the cross. He's he's in the midst of suffering. What does he call on? He calls on Scripture. 
Psalm 22, as he's in the midst of suffering, he falls on scripture. As many of you are suffering, many of you going through hard times, you've got to have the scripture. It's so central. It's just a theme throughout the scripture. In fact, let me take you, let me go ahead and take you to John chapter 17. I mentioned this earlier, where Jesus is basically going to say the same thing. Oh my gosh, I have got to wrap this up. Wow. Really quickly. Man. John chapter 17. Jesus is praying. This is red letters, okay? And he's, he's going to the Father. He's praying to the Father. Look at verse 13. He says, uh, verse 13 of John 17, but now I am coming to you. I'm coming to you, Father. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the cross, and I'm going to resurrect, and I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Okay, let's camp out right there for just a second. I have given them your word, Jesus says. And what happens as he's given them his word? The world has hated them. Jesus says the world has, has hated them. I've given you, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them just like it has hated me. The word, the truth of God, is the source of our contention with the world. But drop down to verse 15 and below. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Don't remove yourselves from the world. The disciples stay in the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And verse 17, circle this one, underline this one. Verse 17, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What does that church word, Bible word, sanctify means? It's talking about holiness. Sanctify them in truth. Make them holy. Transform them by the truth. Your word is truth. How are we going to grow holy? By the truth, by the word of God. And look at your marching orders in verse 18. Our marching orders in, in Babylon, verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Be sanctified by the truth and be sent out into the world with the truth. See, truth is the source of our contention, but truth is also the source of our strength. The world hates us because of truth, because of the gospel. But the only thing that will sustain us in this world is the word of God, the truth. And that's why we have to have our minds renewed by it day after day after day by the truth. Some of you may be here this morning, you may think, wow, that's, that's a pretty big statement to say, bank your life, bank your way of living on this book that's thousands of years old. You're just asking me to do that in blind faith, just base my life on the word of God. That is a big deal. I concede that this morning. But if that seems like a big deal to you, I, I want to challenge you in one other way, okay? Just something to think about this morning, if that sounds like a really big deal. See, admit the truth. Admit the truth, at least if you're skeptical. Admit the truth that you're basing your life on something. 
You're finding truth or you're finding truth confirmed somewhere. If not in this book, you're basing your life and you're basing truth on something. And so I just want to ask you the question, what is it you're basing your life on? If it's not this, what is it? Is it science? I was uh, at the supermarket a couple weeks ago again, and I saw this magazine. It's amazing what I find in the supermarket. Popular science. You want to base your life on science? Look at the headline. Look at the cover page of this. 100 things science got wrong. So you, you worried about what this says and whether it might be wrong about life, and you just assume that science always gets it right? Here's a science magazine admitting 100 things that science has gotten wrong. If you can base your life on science, can it hold the weight of your life? What about yourself? Well, I'll just kind of decide what I think is right and base my life on my own common sense. You, you have 100% certainty in your certainty. You have 100% confidence in your knowledge. You have 100% confidence in what kind of the world says is right. Hey, well, if the majority of people think that this is the new way of thinking, that's just kind of go with the flow. The majority wins, right? Would you, would you use that kind of authority back in the 1960s when the whole South and most of our country thought that segregation was a good idea and that blacks were less than whites? Would you go with the majority then? See, you're going to base, you're going to have an authority. You're going to have a source of truth. If it's not this book, it's going to be something. Might be your own thoughts. You really want to trust that? Might be the majority. Really want to trust that? Science? But you will base your life and you will search for the truth somewhere. I want to offer you that this is the most reliable thing to base your life on. Have Christians gotten it wrong? Have Christians misinterpreted it? Have they misused it? Absolutely. But the problem there is not with this book. The problem there is with us. This is something to base your life on. To be a person of the book. I don't have time for point three, okay? <laughs> Let me wrap up with application. Point three is the comfort of God's word. If you want to write down two verses here, just write this down. The comfort that comes from God's word is God's sovereignty. Right before Romans 12 comes Romans 11. Just, that's a freebie, okay? Right before Romans 12 comes Romans 11, where it talks about God's sovereignty. It says, based upon God's sovereignty, you can be transformed by the renewing of mind. Joshua 1.8 says, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Prosperous. Because of the word of God. That's the same word, prosper, that Daniel 6.28 says he prospered. Joshua 1.8 says, if you build your life on this, you will prosper now. We got to define prosper, okay? Not talking about prosper, Texas. Not talking about, you know, TV. You know, you name it, you claim it, you get it. But God says, build your life on this. And the comfort you have in that is God's sovereignty, God's protection on your life. Application. Now to wrap it up here. Application, be a person of the book. Read it, study it, love it, live it, pass it on. Okay? How do you do that? Let me offer three things. First of all, do the basics. Get in the Word of God. If you don't like to 
Read the Word of God. Get creative. Listen to it on the way to work. There are so many apps. There are so many devotionals out there today. If you need some recommendations, ask me. But, but get in the Word of God. Get in the Word of God creatively. If you don't know how to spend time uh, in God's Word, get creative with an app that will give you a Bible reading program daily or five days a week or three days a week or something. But do the basics. Get in the Word of God. Get creative about you do it, how you do it. Maybe you want to put memory verses on three-by-five cards and put them in the mirror when you get up uh, in the bathroom mirror when you get up in the morning or put one in the dashboard of your car, put one at the, on your computer screen. So God's word, these, these, these verses that you need in your heart, that you need to renew your mind with are with you throughout the day. Set alarms on your phone where verses will pop up. Get creative about it, but get to the basics and get in the word of God. Be a person of the book. And finally, I just want to challenge you, leverage others. We have an adult Bible fellowship that studies the Word of God every Sunday morning at 9.15. Right now, they're studying the book of Galatians. I hear it's a great study. We have community groups, about 10 community groups that meet throughout the week to study. Part of their purpose is to study the scriptures. We have men's Bible studies and ladies' Bible studies. Our men's Bible study is having a great study right now in this season going through the Sermon on the Mount. Friday mornings at 6.30, our women meet on Tuesday mornings and on Tuesday night. In the Word of God, they're going through the book of Romans. I hear it's excellent. Leverage others. There are so many ways. And some of you don't know how to study the Bible. You need to leverage others to figure out how to do this on your own. You need it alone. You need it in a group. Be a person of the book. Read it. Study it. Love it. Live it. Pass it on. Pray with me. Father God, we, we're just concerned, we're disappointed, uh, and yet we know, God, that this is a world that uh, nothing happens outside of your sovereign hand. And so I pray for each person here, I pray for Centennial Church, that we would stand on the Word of God, that we would not go to the right or to the left but that our hope would be in you and your word and your kingdom to come. May we have confidence because of it. God, we pray for our world. We pray that you would send us out sanctified in truth. You would send us out as ministers and missionaries to share this, this great hope, this great confidence in a world that so desperately needs it. We love you, God. Holy Spirit, we ask you to change us by your word through one another for your glory and our good. It's in the beautiful name of our Savior. We